A quick disclaimer, opinions of host and guest do not represent the views or opinions of functional movement systems. Always consult your physician before beginning any exercise program. This general information is not intended to replace your healthcare professional. Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice, giving you guys a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. As health and fitness professionals, it can be hard to face our own movement inadequacies. On today's episode, Grace sits down with Ashley and takes us through her own personal journey as a case study. They break down her past history, look over her present routines, and plot out a course for her future goals. Gray also covers common questions asked by those charting their own movement journey. So let's get going with today's movement podcast, powered by FMS. I've been with FMS for a year. Mm-hmm. Grateful to be here. It's been quite an eye-opening experience. I've been in movement for a long time, and I didn't realize what I was truly missing until I came to the company. Um, I've owned gyms. I was a personal trainer. I was a group exercise instructor early in my college career, and then my exercise sports science uh, academic career kind of branched off into strictly being fitness after that. And so... I didn't know what I was missing until I've, I was here. And it's been such an eye-opening experience to really understand where my movement actually is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is not where I thought it was. Well, you know, you're articulating something that, that I've had to embrace, uh, Lee, most of our instructors, is it's way easier to talk about movement than it is to fix it in yourself mm-hmm. or at least be your own general contractor. Right. Right. Yeah. We can sub it out to a surgeon. Mm-hmm. We can sub it out to a therapist, a soft tissue person, whatever. But mostly, we're our own general contractor. And and so, you know, being here for a year and being comfortable enough to say walk across the parking lot and talk to Allison over in mm-hmm. physical therapy, or to get Kyle Barrow to screen you or check your balance or something like that, it's it's hard to face that because each one of us has that athletic armor on, uh, and and you're supposed to wear it. You got to wear it because we can't be unhealthy and challenge yours. We can't be unfit and challenge yours. We Mm -hmm. can't be dysfunctional and challenge yours. But yet at the exact same time, if we don't challenge ours first, how will we know how to speak to you? Because we're speaking to ego. We're not speaking to humans. We're speaking to ego right now. So, Over all of these years, I've had uh, three pregnancies. Mm -hmm. I've trained through all of them. I understood that my movement was compromised due to obviously, you know, the actual being pregnant, you know, the baby, but then all the other things that happen at the same time, joints become more flexible. Um, And so I worked through all of those little aches and pains and then coming back from it, I was always able to lay the blame on being pregnant. Mm -hmm. I never thought of it as my back or my mid back specifically, or how that then affected my hip and then affected my, my ankle. Um, and being able to, to pull those things apart now, separated now from pregnancy for about six years. That was mm-hmm. the last time I had uh, my youngest. And so now I'm focusing on my movement journey. 2021 is about getting back to training the way I want to 
but fully understanding that I'm not there now and I need to work on these things. Um, and I think that was a very humble conversation I had to have with myself. I was, you know, people coming around the office. I had the Airx pad. I was, I was literally working at my desk in a half kneeling position um, because it was too painful to sit. And that was a, a big eye-opening moment for me. And I've been seeing Allison across the street now. And I just don't, you know, I have all these questions. I, I'm just now starting this PT experience where someone's actually spending the time and paying attention. Because I was doing all this stuff myself before. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I just need to do another pigeon stretch. I need to stay in this position for a little bit longer today before I try to snatch 125 pounds. <laughs> and you know, what you were doing is unbelievably forgivable. And what you're doing now is unbelievably brave. Because, you know, I've, I've had numerous phone conversations with Kelly Starrett and in his early experiences with Mobility Wad and people not knowing the difference between a pain and a tightness, mm-hmm. right? And so much of Mobility Wad is just good, fundamental, let's lubricate your joints, let's lengthen your tissues, Supple let's leopard. get yeah, let's get ready to move. But if this crap's causing pain, mm-hmm. It could be everything from tendonitis to bone cancer, right? <laughs> so, and I'm sure you're going to want to assume it's tendonitis, but if you could find out three months earlier it's bone cancer, <laughs> yeah. it might. Anyway, I just try to tell people that way. So, it's very easy to take our aches and pains and point a fitness solution at what could be the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. of, of an underlying problem. And, and secondly, if you're not sure how to answer that question, How's that going for you? Is, did those moves change anything in your life? And if they didn't, then the one thing that I say is the difference between rehab, correction, and conditioning is in rehab, you can't reset yourself. You can't crack your own neck, can't stick a needle in your glute, and you can't assess your own balance. Mm-hmm. You just can't. So when you basically say, I think I want to get some professional advice, it doesn't mean you got a one-year relationship with a therapist or a chiropractor. It means you need another set of eyes on the job. They may disagree with what you're thinking, but think of they've got nothing personal in it. (laughs) They're just reading it. And so a good, holistic, head-to-toe, physical movement appraisal is, is... like a breath of fresh air because the one thing I want you to know on this journey, and hopefully we'll arrive at it, is I don't want you working on eight things or worried about seven things. I want you to focus on one thing until that domino falls. And we'll count how many others fall once that does. But getting you to the starting blocks of your journey is what a lot of people don't see Mm -hmm. because the thing, the move I start you on and the move that you want to do may not look similar at all, uh, at all, but believe it or not, from, from a movement perspective, they're connected like links in a chain. And so if we don't get one right, the other's not going to happen. Right. So I have the opportunity to sit across from you, uh, today specifically. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm not alone in having these questions and kind of these feelings about this new experience that I'm going on. Um, both the professionals might have questions that hopefully we can get some answers for them as well, as well as the client or the athlete who's just starting on maybe something similar. So I'm going to turn it over to you. What, what do you need to know about me? What, um, 
you know, what do you think this movement journey might end up looking like for me? Okay. Now, first of all, uh, when you joined the team here at FMS, uh, due to uh, popular belief, we didn't make you do a movement screen. Nope. Uh, most of us on any given day don't look great on a movement screen. So the last thing we're going to do is impose that on you. But after being here for a while and realizing that we do eat our own food, <laughs> it just takes a while. But but we've all been on this movement journey. We're all confronting it at different episodes of our life. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things right off the bat to just set the stage. Mother of three. Mm-hmm. Um, with a strength training background up to the coaching level, mm-hmm. um, athletic background in high school, I don't know about. Were you? It was just cheering and well, cheering, some softball and um, dance. Okay. So, um, do you ever remember rock bottoming a deep squat without heels on? No. Yeah. And, and I, I'll say that same question to people who, who can't backward bend or touch their toes, you know, I'll, I'll say that. And so a lot of your movement patterns could be, have been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about certain problems and one of the ones that came to the surface was you feel very tight in a squat, but yet if we go down to the gym and we load up the bar, yeah. Pound for pound. Uh, Weight helps. Age to age. Right. You feel very, very good in a squat, Mm -hmm. but just realize that if you compress that spring a lot, things are going to go bad. So you're actually using your tightness and reinforcing it instead of breaking, breaking through. And I have no illusion that if you dedicated a year of your life just to pursuing yoga and body weight training, we wouldn't have some change. But I honestly think that's a lot to ask. Your plate's already full. And that's that's a hell of a journey. So we're going to have to strategically see how quick a bump we can make. And I think you already did that first step that so many professionals don't do is that you realize you correction is self-help. Rehab is getting help from another. Mm -hmm. So you put yourself in a corrective category. I'm strong, I'm fit, but I do know I have mobility and stability problems, so I'm going to consume self-correction. And if that doesn't impressively give you some positive feedback, then you either pick the wrong correction Mm -hmm. or you don't really understand what needs to be corrected. And that's where we call it rehab. So you're looking to reset yourself. You're looking to do something like, oh my gosh, that's a different day. And then I want to run with that for a while. And what I've learned is um, too many people watch what we do with movement and see us do a single move to change your balance. We'll have somebody do some rolling and their single leg stance will double. We'll have somebody do some bending forward and backward and their toe touch uh, gets impressively good. That is for entertainment purposes, just to show you how plastic the mm-hmm. system is. It it doesn't happen for people. And once that big breakthrough happens, now you're still, you know, yeah. painting the fence, sanding the floor, waxing the car. So the very first thing we do is, is the movement pattern that you have the most difficulty with the squat? Mm-hmm. Is it also the one that produces pain if we were to push on it a little bit? Or do other movements produce pain? Some lunging okay. hurts. Um, I'd say the squat is the is the number one. And then, actually, some overhead stuff. 
Um, I definitely, I'm, I'm pretty strong in my upper body. So I push through that pain, uh, which was often referred to as tightness Mm -hmm. (laughs) previously. And so now I'm, much more aware that it is actually pain. It's, it's pain that I'm having. Yeah. And so it is in the overhead position. I get that. Um, so I'm, I'm no longer like jerking or doing a lot of push presses or super, have super heavy movements, um, in that position, but squats, okay. lunging and overhead. And what you, what you just presented is something that occurred to me, um, early in my career. Um, FMS was already out there, but we were really organizing the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. And we put movement in four different buckets. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure your squat's not your most painful movement, but I think obviously to you and everybody else, it's your most dysfunctional movement because you look pretty fit and then you go to squat and you're not even close to parallel with body weight. And you're like, yeah, but if you put 135 on my back, I'm going to go deeper. But is but if you can't go deeper on your own, then you're using that to compress a spring right. that may not be, be healthy. But the funny thing is, some of our most painful patterns isn't where we show the most dysfunction. And some of our most dysfunctional patterns, inability to squat deep, mm-hmm. is not the most painful thing. Mm-hmm. And so one of the curveballs we throw to most PTs and chiropractors taking the SFMA for the first time is we're going to attack the dysfunction and watch the pain. Meaning in this instant, I would do things that impressively got you deeper and more comfortably into your squat. And then I'd recheck something upstairs to see if fixing the foundation of the house Mm -hmm. made everything better above it. Um, doesn't mean it will, but we've got 30 years of chasing your painful patterns with, uh, you know, everything from ibuprofen to CBD. And even though it makes you feel better, I think we would all agree that neither of these things, one being far more natural than the other, don't solve the problem. They just make it more tolerable. Right. So, so we're not just trying to make bad squatting more tolerable. We know that your body's plastic. It will change. We don't know how quick it'll change, but there are probably some things in your lifestyle that are actually working against us. So the very first thing I want to do is see all the things we could protect you from before we try to correct. So how's your sleep? How's your diet? How's your hydration? And how are your workouts going? Well, <laughs> I actually drank a fair amount of water. All right. Um, hydration isn't that big of an issue for me. Um, sleep is, uh, in my situation, I'm a single mother of three. So all housework really gets done either in the early morning hours or the late evening hours. So my, the maximum I'm getting is six and a half. Um, that uh, other than the weekends, the weekends, I might get a little bit more, but during the week I'm getting about six and a half hours. And then nutrition is, is pretty on point. Um, I, I do pay attention to that. I've dabbled in a couple other trendy things more recently, but I've kind of veered back into macro counting. It's kind of my thing. I've been doing that for a while. Um, so taking in the appropriate amount, making sure I'm not kind of overeating or undereating on like training days, which training days are a little bit lighter right now. So those really aren't that big of an issue. I know sleep is. Okay. Then, then the, just, just, uh, 
Allison's your physical therapist. And everybody, just so you know who Allison is, she's, she's at the physical therapy clinic here on campus and uh, is amazing as she's credentialed in everything we teach and actually helps us teach the stuff. But uh, she she's basically working under the sign that says Great Cook Physical Therapy right <laughs> yes. now. So I can do a few other things, but she's my therapist. I'm her therapist. And I think she's your therapist. But yes. but we all try to, to sort of not ask the movement screen or our correctives to fix healthcare problems. We, we try to do, you know, due diligence there. But the one thing I would tell you, if, if you've looked at every way to, to improve sleep and you're not getting it, if you could compartmentalize a 30 minute power nap, even if that means everybody in your house gets to watch right. more TV for the greater good, uh, the, the power nap is a good thing. And if power nap is not there, sometimes 10 or 15 minutes of meditation Mm -hmm. helps you dump some of the things that are making you go to sleep slower. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, if we can't increase the quantity of your sleep, but we can change the quality of your sleep a little bit quicker. So I would say a power nap or some meditation is fine. Um, I'm horrible about watching TV right up until the time I pass out, but there are some audiobooks I can listen to that put me to sleep right away because I've heard them so many times, but it's that little extra bit of thing that I can focus on that I don't focus on all of, right. but yeah, do keep doing what you got to do because even an extra half hour of quality mm-hmm. sleep can probably change your cortisol levels. And, and actually, if we are on the right track with some of your corrective moves and some of your therapies, they will stick better if you're more well-rested, more hydrated, and if your state of readiness is managed better. Yeah. Um, look at your heart rate variability. Um, and, and if you have a wearable device, start, start tracking. Start tracking some of the things, and if you're journaling, journaling a little bit, doing the exercises Allison's got you mm-hmm. on, and maybe avoiding some of the things we want you to, see which days actually foster better sleep. And you could test my theory. Try the meditation, try the power nap, and see you know if if those things are, are helping. You too. know, I've never actually done any meditating. The closest I get to meditating is like the last five minutes of a yoga class when they have you lay on your back with savasana or something, and I'm just like passed out at that point. So I do think probably I'll I'll start implementing maybe some meditation. There's all those apps now, Headspace, yeah. different things like that. So I could I could try that, and then I'm also not actually journaling my my movements. So I mean. Any training I do gets journaled in a, in a notebook that I have, but I hadn't thought about kind of also writing down what my mobility level was at the end of a, of a, of a circuit of what, you know, Allison has kind of given me to do or compared to what it was in, in at the beginning of it. So that's definitely something I'll. Just for contrast, doing. I would aim you right at the, the two basic flows we put up on the internet, the mobility flow and the motor control mm-hmm. flow. I definitely want to attack your squat your ankles, your hips with the mobility flow. But I honestly think if you flip back and forth between some of the specific stuff Allison's got you doing, mm-hmm. and if you mention the two flows that I'm talking about with a, with a half foam roll, the mobility and motor control flow, just to add variety, there's your five-minute break right there. Yeah. Just dump that tension and, and, and accept the challenge. But the journals that you write, uh, the journaling you do after each of those flows, each time you do them – will probably start speaking volumes to you yeah. about the way you're responding. And and a, a lot of people, I'd say 
40% of the people that go on a, a stability challenge or a, a flow that's designed to sort of make you wobbly and you've got to mm-hmm. overcome that, they don't feel more stable. They come out of it feeling more flexible because wow. now that your postural muscles are doing their job mm-hmm. in a new and organized way, the tension you got in your quads, your pecs, your lats, your delts, your calves goes away because yep. we don't have to have heavy breaks on with the big muscles because the little muscles are already there. Everything's aligned, everything's stacked, everything's running in the background. So the people that get on stability work feel more free and mobile. And the people who get on mobility work feel more free and mobile. But we need to know the underlying cause of a lot of your stiffness. And a lot of people attack all stiffness and tightness as if it's a flexibility problem. And as you already said, in your pregnancies, you got real loosey goosey because mm-hmm. the hormone relaxin in mm-hmm. the third month, uh, the th- third trimester of pregnancy is already there, loosening up all your joints. But it's really only focused on the right. pelvis because <laughs> that's where the heavy lifting's done. So, uh, so, so you've been through three huge curveballs to your musculoskeletal system, but yet you came out of all this with what looks like tightness. It may be the way you're protecting yourself mm-hmm. from some of the ambitious workouts that you're mentally tough enough to deal with, but it's leaving a mark on your body. And the the mark is poor movement quality, not a scar. Mm-hmm. And and so I can tell a lot about your lifestyle by the fact that that you're holding this. So if I were to do, or if Allison were to do some really quick therapy and corrections with you, your squat would impressively change real quick. Or it wouldn't. And if it changes real quick, I'm going to blame a lot of your problem on just a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. You're just holding yourself in a very disorganized way because many of the things, whether you believe it or not, in your workout have threatened your system. Protection is a term that I've never associated with what's happening. And when it was first said to me, it, it was such a light bulb. That's exactly what, it's, what I'm doing. That's why I also... I categorize it as tightness, but that's what that protection is. And that's the way it feels, but then it's causing all these other things. So I just, I had to bring that up. And so, so the very first thing I'm going to offer is I'm going to protect you from your squat. It's your comfort zone. It's Mm -hmm. your signature move. It's your strength. And you feel empowered there and you will again, but not for a while. So if you can give that up, you are, you are the body type that I would X out any type of squatting, pistols, single leg, body weight, you don't get to squat, but you do get to deadlift. And you, to get, and you get to single leg deadlift okay. and you get to do a lot of balance beam stuff and you get to do these flows as long as Allison's cool with it. It's how you're going to add variety. But, you know, I would tell you, you, you and I were, were talking a little bit earlier over coffee about intermittent fasting and mm-hmm. getting back on track because we all do it for a while and then holidays mm-hmm. come around and then there's 17 birthday parties you got to go to. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to serve a chia shake there. It's going to be, you know, cake and ice cream. But here's the thing. And, and, and I think Tim Ferriss said it too. It's like, if you start intermittent fasting and expect to work out at the same level, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, intermittent fasting, a lot of this stuff we do in the flows and a lot of walking, 
just a lot of walking and just being on your feet and just just going through movement. And it takes about three weeks to flush your system. But just if you're intermittent fasting or eating less calories, really hydrate. Mm-hmm. Drinking purified water uh, is not hydrating. It's wet, but it doesn't have a good electrolyte complex. So when you're doing less calories, realize that you get a lot of your minerals and electrolytes. And so supplement that to a certain degree. A pinch of sea salt in a bottle okay. of water is the most basic way to do it. But hydrate and and go ahead and enjoy some intermittent fasting, but reduce your caloric expenditure, but stay moving. And, and just for a month or two of your life, give up your lifter's identity. I have to say, I have to tell runners the same mm-hmm. thing. Give up your runner's identity and and go into this self-exploration. And, and you mentioned meditation and I've done a lot of meditation apps too, but one of the places I was able to zero out my mind is I got the Wim Hof app and just started doing some of the, the breathing, breathing stuff. And on the breath hold, oh my gosh, the world stopped for like 10 minutes. I only held my breath for two, but it's like the right. world stopped for 10 minutes. And so I'm like, oh, now I know what I'm going for. So now I can, you know, try to meditate and meditation isn't this thing where anything gets better. You just catch yourself not being in the moment Mm -hmm. and that's enough. If I had you on a balance beam, if you just catch yourself every time you're doing stupid stabilization instead of, then it's working. Right. And that's the whole point of it. So, so giving your, giving yourself chance to be in the moment. So what you'll find is whether it's jump rope or Indian clubs or a balance beam, of those two, you're probably thinking jump rope. I'm of like, course. absolutely not. You got tight ankles and you can't squat. You get to do Indian clubs and balance beam. I'm like, yeah, I can do double unders. Yeah, you see. So, but but yet for somebody who's all loosey goosey, mm-hmm. the last thing I'm picking is jump rope. I just want to stand on one foot and do my Indian clubs and show you how good I am. And you're like, nope, you got to jump rope because I don't energy store well. So I'm going to push you right away from your comfort zone mm-hmm. for two months. This is a great time to start intermittent fasting because I don't want you doing much more than body weight. Mm-hmm. And the irony is you're going to come out of it stronger. And I've tested this at the highest level because John Terrine and I did it with the Colts. And we pulled a lot of the, the tightest squatters he had off of heavy back squats. And the resistance was these guys are going to get weak and right. they're, you know, and the exact odds that happened. We didn't squat heavy. We worked on all the things that made the squat worse, mm-hmm. mobility, stability, ankles, everything like that. These guys didn't go heavy and all of them stayed the same or got better by getting away from the weight. So they they took that necessary time to reorganize and then brought load back. Mm-hmm. And you've never taken a break from load once it gave you the first great thing it gave you, which was it made you stronger. Right. But when it quit making you a better version of yourself, it's time to cycle through and regain your body weight, your movement competence, your balance, your breathing, your zen, your yoga, your whatever. You mentioned flushing out. Is that is there something actually like physically I need to be flushing out or is it like the mental, physical connection flush out? Your body needs a break from heavy squatting and you need to forget how you're doing that shit because you're doing it wrong. It's mm-hmm. not your fault, but it's the only way you know. So when the bar's there and the rack is there and you got your favorite little squat shoes on and you're getting ready to go down and feel that load, just realize that it's never going to get better. Yeah. Not not if we don't do it different. So I got to get a runner to quit running for two or three weeks to change their stride because the repetition of the dysfunction makes it feel more normal than the function I'm trying to reinstall, Mm -hmm. which currently feels abnormal. So if I remove the contrast, 
all the new stuff we're doing with you doesn't have to be given up to get your old thing back. Right. And so people get very resistant. You know, uh, the guy with the kettlebell tattoo, when I tell him he can't do swings or snatches, he's ready to fist fight. And I'm like, dude, I'll just shoot you. I'm not going to fight you. Um, but this is exactly what you need to become a better presser, a better, you know. So you've got to go out of that and come back into it with with a new vision. Mm-hmm. So, so the love I have for the barbell, you yep. know, is has brought me to, to this place because I'm 36 and I want to continue. I want to be training again at a high level within what, 18 months, 12 mm-hmm. months. That, it could happen. And it's all going to happen. And, and everybody always asks me these timeframes. I need to see um, your first impressive change. And that could be three minutes or three weeks. Mm-hmm. But once we've documented change, then I can calculate rate of change from where you started to where you want to be. And so the what people don't understand about the movement screen, it simply shows me where you are. I want to introduce you to don't do this, right? So yeah. I'm going to tell you don't heavy squat. I'm going to tell the runner not to run. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm going to take something away from you. Simply taking away the insult can help many people. But most of the time, the insult has created something that's going to outlast the cessation of the activity. So now I need to reorganize you, and that's what we call correction. On the other side of that, you're going to be on the dumbbell again. You ever heard the saying, if you you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it was yours. (laughs) That's the dumbbell for you now. (laughs) Let it go. It'll be back in your life when it can add value. But right now you are, you're sort of stuck in this vicious mm-hmm. cycle of if you go a week without squatting heavy, you're going to feel guilty because you feel like you haven't mm-hmm. done anything and try to be on a 10 minute phone call and not fall off a balance beam. Right. Mm-hmm. Your calves will be screaming. Yep. Right. And you're going to feel way more general fatigue than you did in the squat rack for three sets. And that's exactly what I felt when I paddleboarded for the first time. My, my legs were shot. My arms could keep going, but that told me that my posture wasn't supporting my effort of my arms. Mm-hmm. I had to go back and get more posture. My arms were way conditioned to paddle 10 miles. My body didn't uh-huh. have the posture or balance to cover it. FMS2 is designed for FMS certified professionals who want to take their FMS1 knowledge to another level. FMS2 builds on how to take movement screen results and develop exercise programming to positively influence movement health, competency, and performance. In FMS2, you will learn essential strategies to correct movement dysfunctions in your clients, athletes, and patients. This interactive course focuses on a variety of exercises based on the fundamentals of mobility and motor control that are specifically designed for sustainable movement health. The learning environment is reinforced with detailed case studies for practical application in a variety of training scenarios. Are you ready to directly impact how well your clients move? Take a look at our upcoming courses and get started today. I've had my first real experiences with FMS and SFMA getting my own screens and actually, you know, Diving into it in a way for my own personal journey and, and making use of all this knowledge that I've gained over the past couple of years and, and putting it to the test in my own and myself. I had a moment during my, during my SFMA assessment that was just light bulb. Um, it was during the uh, 
leg raise mm-hmm. and I had had pain in my left hip. That was the real reason that right took in the me, crease, right? Yep, that when you took lift it up, me okay. to Allison next door was this pain was not going anywhere. It wasn't that it was happening more when I was lifting. It wasn't that it was happening, like took a couple of days off. It was still there. Uh, the pigeon stretch wasn't doing it anymore. And I was popping ibuprofen for mm-hmm. days at a time. And so I finally was like, I have to do something about this. So during my assessment, we had a leg raise and I said, there it is. That's the pain. And she's like, all right. And we did, she kind of put her hands up and I put my hands uh on her arm and I was able to, I kind of activated my core. And if you were on a in. bench doing a pullover with a dumbbell uh, or a weight, you would have activated the same muscle. So <laughs> she, she just isometric you halfway through a pullover laying on your back. Exactly. But what she did was made you use your abs without thinking abs. Mm-hmm. Cause you weren't doing a crunch or a plank or a sit up. No. You were simply trying not to let her pull your arms away. Exactly. Right. So basically she forced you to stabilize your rib cage. And then what happened? There was no pain. It was the same movement. My leg raised and there was no pain. It was a miracle. I, my face just, you know, my eyes went wide. I probably turned white. Cause I just, I didn't even understand at that point. Like how, how could you take something that was there? And then I activated my abs without even realizing that I was, and it was gone. Um, now let me blow your mind. At the exact same hip, pelvis, low back angle where your leg raise hurt you before she stabilized you, that's where you stop your squat. Oh. <laughs> Did we blow, blow your yeah. mind again? <laughs> Meaning under load, uh, that same phenomena is occurring, but you can't have pain when you're in the squat mm-hmm. rack, so you just short your squat. Mm-hmm. So what you do in a leg raise, which is a non-threatening movement, is you just take the pain because it's become the old familiar, right? But in a squat, you can't handle that ping, nor does your system want it. So you just squat more shallow every time. But it's the same angle of hip integrity without abdominal support. Mm -hmm. So So in that moment, I realized... I have to keep doing this. If Mm -hmm. she can take the pain away like that, then I know we can work through something. If all of a sudden it's not there, then I'm now much more aware that this is going to work. And and let me me capitalize on one thing there that I've always been proud of our tribe. Uh, Chiropractor, ATC, strength coach, PT, it doesn't matter what your credential is. When you're following sort of a functional movement approach, you demonstrate potential. And what you realize there is, oh my goodness, the world can change Mm -hmm. if we come at it different. And I love it when people demonstrate potential, but don't make too much of it. It, It's already impressive enough. That's not the end of it. It just demonstrates the fact that there are switches. We -hmm. can turn them on, turn them off, before they'll turn their self on and off. That's going to take some work. But just that, potential, you know, no hip pain, the ability to touch the toes, improve your balance. Those things are things we need to capitalize on. We don't need to throw our own ticker tape parade over here. I'm not amazing because I did that, but now you realize you have potential and you're leaning in. We get to have a really cool conversation Mm -hmm. on the other side of that. And, and, And I'm talking to the clinicians out there, what you do with that teaching moment will determine the relationship. So. So going back to that, what 
you know, what are the parts there? What's, what's the switch that she turned I honestly, on? I honestly think if I had to call this CSI, um, I'd like to think at 55 after doing this a while, I'm about 80, 20, uh, <laughs> on, on, um, because you're, a, a, a fairly accomplished lifter and you were going to prove to every other female in the gym that you weren't going to let pregnancy, um, interfere with your personal pursuit of, of lifting and, and the way that you like to express yourself physically, you probably were lifting a little too much, a little too early. And even if you had a coach's brain, you didn't have a coach's body two months out of pregnancy. And even though you thought your back was aligned, it wasn't. So you, you did a lot of work Mm -hmm. with probably worse technique than ever and you didn't know it because you were proprioceptively deprived because you had hormone cocktail going on in your system that was telling your ligaments to be relaxed. And as long as you're not lifting anything more than your baby, you can't hurt yourself. And as long as you right, but, but you can otherwise. And it's just like people who do high mileage. As a matter of fact, I think lifting uh, after pregnancy can throw you into more musculoskeletal problems than running after pregnancy because running self-limiting, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not ready to run, you're going to know it real right. quick. <laughs> but you can easily compensate in the gym and find a few lifts that can still make you feel like you used to, but you're not. And so um, a little bit more of a body weight, Turkish get up, get your carries down after that pregnancy would have given you a much better entry point back into your lifts. And most people who've been off of lifting go back to lifting. They don't go through carries to get to their lifts. It's it's part of your identity at that point. Same thing like we talk about with the runners. Mm -hmm. And so especially identity has changed so much, becoming a mother, that you want to stick with something that you know. So it's a mistake that we don't even realize we're making. I'm going to drop two books on you right now. And if you've already done them, I want you to do them again with your physical um, problems on your dashboard. Ryan Holiday did Ego is the Enemy, and he yep. also did The Obstacle is the Way. These are both audiobooks, thanks to Tim Ferriss, or I wouldn't even be able to quote them because if somebody will read me a book, I'll listen. <laughs> if I got to read it to myself, I won't. But when you listen to Ego is the Enemy, apply it to your physical life. Okay. When you listen to The Obstacle is the Way, apply it to your physical life. And it's no, uh, n- no coincidence that this, these books have been handed around in the NFL a lot more than a lot of top 10 bestsellers simply because that athletic focus, that grit and that mentality that can give you success can also take it away from you real quick. So you've got to know where to channel that and where not to. Wow. So you've got an obstacle in front of you and you're not going around it anymore. You're no. going right through it. Mm-hmm. So, And I, I know that I'm not the only one that needs to hear this. So. No, I, I had to hear it. I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I created a movement screen that I can't score very highly in. That's a freaking slice of humble pie. That's almost the whole damn thing. Um, but you know, I was, uh, you know, I w- had 18 fractures before I was 18 and I was born with a hernia and I've had it repaired more times than, than I want. And I never acknowledged that. I just mm-hmm. wanted full speed ahead. I can do that lift and I'll work my way around it. But most of what I'm saying to you, I had to say to myself first in these and other clinicians that haven't had a major physical crisis in their life, you're gonna, right. you know, and you got to accept it with grace and you got to give somebody else the control if you can't fix it yourself. Mm-hmm. And and you'll know if it's, if it's the same, if you're still taking ibuprofen, you're not fixing it yourself. You're just covering it up no. yourself. So, well, we get a lot of questions, um, okay. on 
different platforms, social media, customer support. Um, people have a lot of questions for you, obviously. And I think these can go towards the athlete who's listening, um, who might have them for themselves, who are starting a movement journey like this. Or it's also a way to answer questions if you're a professional. Mm-hmm. So if your client or patient has these types of questions. So okay. we'd love to get your feedback on some of them. Um, we talk about correctives a lot. And uh, you have a quote here that I'm sure you're probably going to say. Um, but correctives, are are they forever? They shouldn't be. But if you have altered anatomy, if you have a birth defect, or if you've had a few surgeries, they're probably going to be. Mm-hmm. But Let's be honest. If you found out that you were vitamin D deficient, you you got your exposure to sunlight, you did everything else you're supposed to, and you're still vitamin D deficient, you going to take the vitamin D? Yeah. Okay. So if if you find out that you can't roll to the left, right. and no matter what we do, you still got to do that right. a couple times a week, or if you got to... So yeah, I mean, if life tells you that just thank God this supplement's available, because it wasn't available... You know, 4,000 years ago, if you didn't have enough vitamin D, I guess you just died. <laughs> and if you needed a corrective, I guess you just limped. Yep. But but yeah. And then you weren't running very far, fast away from something. Right, right. So yeah, you're not going to, your gene pool's not going much further anyway. But my, my whole point is, yes, some correctives and some supplements are going to be for life. But, and, and I need to tell my patients and clients and athletes that. What I need to tell professionals is your supplementation or your correction is not the solution unless you've proven it is. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of exercises I'll use to get your squat back, but I consider our journey incomplete if I don't take those away from you and get you squatting in a different and more constructive way so you can both enjoy it and it is sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I always plan on removing your movement screen exercise and installing your conditioning exercise, but now it's going to take care of your function, not rob it, Mm -hmm. which is really one of the reasons why we do the FCS. Most people have no idea how they're going to plot in their energy systems across the FCS. And because they're working on the wrong module there, is wrecking their screen every time. So they do the correctives, they get through the screen, right back to the dumbass workout that robbed your function in the first place. And so you've got to really ask yourself, what am I working out and am I working out my weakest link? Because with your movement pattern, we find your weakest link. With your energy expression, we don't. And if you'll find your weakest link once you're on the other side of good movement, the perfect workout will both condition you in a way you've never had before And now you don't have to do functional supplementation Mm -hmm. because you're working out functionally. And it doesn't mean you're, see, most people are like, well, I do work out functional. No, you're doing functional moves, but you're not becoming more functional. Those are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fat people eating diet food right now. It ain't working, right? (laughs) If If you got your diet right, you don't need to tell me. I can see it from here. So, How do you find ways to keep your clients motivated to stay on the path? integration into workouts, attaching them to something daily, et cetera. I think we were just kind of there with this. We um, were, and, and, and I've never assumed that the entertainment value of standing next to Gray Cook beats real, tangible, objective, and measurable results. If you're not measuring results, they're going to have a bad time. And if you are and they're still having a bad time, then that's not why they're here. 
So it's a real easy question to answer. If I'm making progress with you and it's not good enough for you, then we can end this. And if, and if um, I'm not making progress, then I have no reason to ask you to continue, even though I have four new exercises I want to show you. So, so it's, it's all about results. It, it absolutely is. And I will line myself up so I'll know if you're making results before you do. But if there's ever a compliance yeah. problem, we'll go there. What about any of the tools like the, um, the app, the device, what's it called? The scale, it measures angles. Oh, the goniometer, the inclinometer that's yes, on your yeah. iPhone. So we were doing some exercises with my ankle and hip and Allison was sure that she had seen some new range of motion that I didn't have previously. Mm-hmm. And we had tested it originally in the assessment and we got eight degrees on my ankle yeah. in that 20 minute session where we had gone through some things. And that was another big moment. Even if I hadn't had the leg raise, that was, Oh, like I can get that much improvement. And then, you know, in the future, then be able to go lift. I was able to correlate it, you know, in that way, like, all right, I continue with these exercises. However, they may develop into new things in the future, but this type of pre-work, you know, getting my system ready to then go lift is obviously going to improve my ability this is not just going to change the way you move it's going to change the way you coach in the future and where allison wearing the hat of a physical therapist uses some science to show you mobility what you're going to do next time you got a group is y'all are going to be on a balance beam for five minutes but you're going to also get on that balance beam for three minutes after the cool down and you're going to show everybody i didn't just smoke check you your balance is better your shoulders are back your chin is tucked uh you know your your head's over your pelvis not out in front of it and all you need to know is my balance got better and we didn't practice balance right. and so you're going to find ways in your coaching do the same thing every great strength coach i've ever worked with found ways to have that tangible feedback to help you with the doubt and insecurity that most of us have when we got to believe somebody because the last four people that said they were going to help didn't. So I think, I think it's very good that Allison is completely transparent because if she had done that measure and you hadn't gotten an eight degree improvement, she would have been just as an advocate. Well, let's find something that does. And that level of transparency is, is something you can't fake. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's good that, that we always have this objectivity, whichever metric we're working on. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think these are all examples of ways to keep that client motivated, um, coming in the door, consistently doing the work. But, but, but please don't look for variety for entertainment value. Mm -hmm. Netflix is going to beat your ass every time. So we're not entertainers. We're, we're here at whatever level we train your movement, whether it's to condition, correct, rehab, whatever it is, to get you the results you need and make them as sustainable as possible with or without us. So, mm-hmm. Here's a question that I have, uh, and I know I'm not the only one. How frequently should we be actually going through the screen? So we've come in, we've found some, some issues, we're working on them. What, what's the path then forward for, get, for rescreening? Um, well, it all depends on what your goals are. Um, and the very first time I rescreen you, I'm satisfied as long as it's not worse. That's mm-hmm. the Hippocratic oath. I did no harm here. So even, now, 
how many things are better. But I would probably say first time I screened you, if I put you on a bunch of correctives and you really hammer those correctives, about the time you're voicing to me that you either think you're getting better or you're not is the time I want to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't think I'm getting a bit better. Good. Let's rescreen. I think I'm doing way better. Good. Let's rescreen. It's the same answer right. both ways because chances are the people that don't think they're getting better just change four numbers and the people that think they change six only change two. Mm-hmm. So it's that recalibration of your confidence reality ratio that we're going to do. Um, the harder you're going after it, the more I screen, the more time you got. Okay. If I've got wellness clients and they're just coming in uh, in February to get ready for August, uh, we don't have to screen that much. I just go back to your worst pattern. As long as that one is getting better and mm-hmm. staying better, I think we're going to see good stuff on the others. So I'm not OCD about a full screen, but you start up in the ante, you start telling me you want an Olympic gold medal, you start telling me that you want to get your starting position back, we're going to rescreen more so that I can calibrate your accelerated path. Mm-hmm. So if you're impatient, you're going to get screened more. And if you're patiently really enjoying this journey, then we screen at convenience. Okay. There's no, there's no right answer, but yeah. if you're asking me about variety and programming and not asking me about rescreening, then chances are you're just getting ready to pull a exercise off the internet. So, you know. When it comes to things that I've found in a session that I have fixed, right? And piggybacking off of that, you know, how many screens do I have to do? Mm-hmm. All right. I've been been doing this for like six weeks. I'm feeling better. You know, is the screen the answer to then go forward? Like, can I start squatting again? You know, how soon can you get back to that normal activity? Is it the FCS? Good question. It is the FCS. So if your screen is considered acceptable and that means you're free of ones and you don't have pain, then I want to see your motor control screens. So I want to see single limb competency. I want to, I want to see the motor control screen. But before you say lift to me, I say carry to you. And if your carry isn't good, then I know you may have the strength to deadlift, but you can't organize your core. And I'm going to take this back to you because I can find other people too. Mm -hmm. Your leg lift pain is the fact that your core comes on the job late and it can't do that carrying. Your core is engaged from the minute your core is done, you drop the weight carrying. Mm -hmm. So you're doing your farmer's carry, six position carry. Your core is on the whole time and it starts getting really hard to carry when your core is not. You've learned to squat and deadlift without your core. So you can still do those activities. So six position carry. Yeah. Six position carry is something I did. uh, I introduced it in a DVD I did with Dan John and we were really talking about periodization and progression. But I said, since, you know, I had Dan on stage with me because Dan has been such a advocate of carries because strongman stuff and Mm -hmm. a lot of good lifting cultures never got rid of the carries, Mm -hmm. but a lot of boutique fitness cultures got rid of the carries because there's nothing to scream about. There's nothing Mm -hmm. to dance about. It's just trudge, right? Right. (laughs) But yet it's such a fundamental part of strength art that nobody heavily invests in strength doesn't respect carries. A six position carry is actually a kettlebell weight that you could bottom up in either hand easily. You could press it. You could front squat it. 
Yeah, bottom up. So the, the yep. ball is on top, the handle's on the mm-hmm. bottom. Now, if it's that light, so for, for most uh, females, it's like an 8 or 12K. For most guys who can press a 40K, it's like a 16, right? right. So I've got a fairly lightweight. And the six positions is overhead, front rack, right here at your collarbone, and suitcase down down. All right. And then the other three positions on the other side. So you just walk. And we would do this in the FCS workshops. People walk in a circle and you can switch at any time, but you must start right hand high as you can. As soon as you get fatigued, you come to this position, front rack at your collarbone, then you go to suitcase. And as soon as your hand can't hold it anymore, you go overhead. So you've got a fresh position waiting on you that's always easier than the position you just left. And it never ceases to blow me away how many people will endure discomfort. When I just said, all you got to do is walk for 10 minutes, you can switch positions as often as you need to. And and most people don't get that. But here's the cool thing that happens. When you got the kettlebell overhead, you got a very high center of gravity. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different balance strategy as it is when it's at collarbone mm-hmm. level or down around your mid-thigh. So we're feeding your core highly unstable and stable situations that are always asymmetrical. All your weight's on mm-hmm. one side. Your core can't go to sleep. Right. So for 10 minutes at a conversational pace without boot camp in this thing, you're going to find out a lot more about your posture and balance than you ever would if I read you your results of all my tests. But doing that once or twice a week has blown a lot of people away of how it's very restorative to what they're doing. I was so, going to say, is it is it testing or is it training? The first time that baseline is your test. That's your first attempt. I could see myself really actually enjoying that. That, no, it, that, it's good. As a matter of fact, there. we'll have to we'll have to get a video of me coaching you through that because there is a way to coach this, and I never tell you how to carry it, but I get way into the way you're walking and breathing and the elegance of the way you shift positions, and it's highly fatiguing, but it's the best thing to do on a day when you don't feel like working out, but you know you need to. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned walking earlier, and I. I don't do, I mean, obviously I do all my normal activities all day long, which require me to walk, but to just walk is so separate from what I identify with, but you give me a kettlebell. (laughs) I'm a little more in tune to do it. You see, Um, mine, mine is a, a golden doodle. Because about 8.30, uh, Danielle will say, I don't think Kirby's pooped yet. And Kirby needs a half hour of sniffing before he gets in the mood. So I'm, I'm doing like an hour and a half, two hour walk every night, devouring a podcast or audio book, just watching this dog watching smell them. the past. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even occurring. A dog was here earlier and you got to, you know, yep. but he All doesn't that. listen. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get back to your day, Um, but thank you so much for sitting down. This was a great opportunity for myself, as well as I think the listeners to be able to to pull some great nuggets from here and take back to their practice um, or their gyms, wherever they might be. But did you have any closing comments or thoughts? First of all, I want to thank you for for basically uh, not posing perfection. Most people in the industry feel like they got to pose perfection just to be accepted for, for who they are. And the fact that we've all got the exact same damn physical problems as we're helping other people mm-hmm. work on. We just don't talk about that. And, you know, the 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 FMS family, all of us that have gotten our card punched at Delta way more than we want, 
We fix each other. We do it behind stage. We do it in hotel rooms. We realize 40 ain't easy. 50's harder. 30 is way different than 20. Kids suck the energy out of your workouts. A fight with your spouse is going to last about three days and be physically measurable yeah. in your performance. We get it. And I think we we were all probably in our 40s when we realized we were beat to hell and road weary. And and we started fixing each other and, and and we started doing treatments on each other or analyzing each other's workouts. So the fact that that you you come to this family and you're accomplished and you're fit and yet you're willing to work through something just demonstrates uh, your maturity level. And most clinicians, most coaches, most trainers um, are going to have that physical obstacle. And my point is, I know you know how to cover it up. I've covered mine up for a long time. I've been able to do workouts when I was in pain. I've known tricks. I've known how to hack situations, Mm -hmm. but that didn't make me own them. So, you know, take the opportunity that that you have in front of you, whether it's because of a different schedule in COVID or the lack of Mm -hmm. equipment that you beat yourself up on the first time and and really uh, peel the onion and get down to, to what's causing some problems, get some professional insight, do not hire a yes person. <laughs> and then I honestly think it's nice if you apply some of the principles that you hear yourself saying every day to yourself and then apply them to somebody who will forgive you and then apply them to somebody who you can charge. And if you do it in that order, you're not going to have to convince people to do what you say. You're going to be spewing the truth and they're going to be standing in front of it. Mm-hmm. So, Well, and I just wanted to point out that if you are – new to this or you're new to FMS, there is actually a portion on our website called the Find the Certified Member Map. And you can type in your um, zip code, uh, state, city, et cetera, and find someone a little bit more localized that is an FMS professional. And maybe they'd be willing to have that conversation with you. No, I think that's great. And and for you FMS professionals out there who might get an invitation through the website, listen, a lot of these people just want some guidance. I mean, I, I think it's really easy for us to assume that everybody reaching out is going to want a one-year professional relationship. No, they want good advice. And if it's really good, they'll be back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I never am worried about long-term relationships with anybody. As a matter of fact, I like short-term relationships way better and get you on your path back to your sport where right. you can get with your golf pro or your tennis pro or get back into your your games or your triathlon. But I want you to know this is a safe place to get back on that track. But you know, I, I honestly think that just be there for the elegance of assessment and direction. And if there's a relationship to be had, they'll initiate it. That'll do it for this episode of The Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe and review. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, be sure to first move well, then move often.